the book of James, and um, we're going to start our at least Wednesday night messages here. And tonight I don't have any intention on keeping you very long. I know there's probably a collective sigh of confusion there. I do want to read the first three verses here, and we will uh, we'll start, of course, with verse number one. But tonight I really just want to do an introduction and in that introduction, we'll, we'll deal with several things tonight and uh, end up with being, I, I guess you would say, how that we can apply this letter that was, that was written so long ago, how that we can apply that to our hearts today. But if you found your place, James chapter number 1, verse number 1 and down through verse number 3. says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, as we, as we read this, um, these first three, there, there is, there's not a whole lot to unpack here, but there's a lot to be said in this especially verse 2 and verse number 3, because that is going to set the tone for at least half the book of James. He's going to deal with temptations. He's going to deal with patience. He's going to deal with some things. And so that is going to be, we'll deal with that in just a moment, but that is going to give us the insight of the, uh, the theme of this book. So as the introduction tonight of this series, I want to get right into it this evening, and I want to just very elementary talk about the date of the writing. It may not seem that important to you, and and that's okay. Um, If you've got a Schofield Bible, you see that there is a date written. Um, C.I. Schofield, he does a pretty good job. Some of them he, he... he, he leads you into it and then he doesn't give any kind of date, but he usually gives you a writer, then a date, a theme, and then maybe some other things. But if you do have a Schofield Bible, we're on page 1306, uh, but he sets the date around 62. Now, I have several other Bibles and they have something similar to this. The earliest um, that is given, the earliest date is 48 B.C., which is, uh, let's see, 30, which is... Fifteen years after the crucifixion or so, somewhere around there. Um, and so between 48 B.C. and 62 years B.C. or after, after, the, after Christ, or not necessarily after Christ, but after that, that time, the Anno Denomini or whatever it was, or uh, the A.D. and B.C., after all of that, but nonetheless, it's in the first century. Now, something that it, that is going to play a part in not only the style of writing, but what he writes about is not only the first century, but it's the Roman Empire's first century. And so, a lot of the things that he's going to deal with is going to be namely because of what's happening in that time. Uh, as the Roman Empire is gaining um, speed, gaining traction, if you will. And so that brings us to our second uh, sub-point, is some history of the time. 
Um, like I said, this is the first century. It's under the Roman Empire. But in that, we know that there are now, after Jesus has began his ministry, and then Jesus is crucified, he is resurrected, uh, then people begin in, in mass to believe on Christ. They, they begin to follow Peter. We see thousands in Acts chapter, new, uh, chapter number 2 at Pentecost. People are being saved and they're adding unto the church daily. So there are thousands of new believers, thousands of Christians now. And as such, these are, for the most part, Jewish Christians. And so these Jewish Christians, they began to leave what we now call Israel, the country of Israel, the area that used to be called Palestine. They are leaving this area uh, for a couple reasons. One, they are leaving it to resettle other areas, but mainly because of the persecution. Now, they were being persecuted because of two things. One... The Roman Empire. They were being persecuted because they weren't Romans, but also they were being persecuted because they were Christians that they should have been Jewish. Okay? So they were being Christ, uh, persecuted by their own countrymen. Alright? Uh, you, you take for, well, you understand what I mean by that. There's really no, no need for me to give you an illustration there. You understand that. So, they were, they were not only being rejected by the Gentiles or these Romans, but they were also being rejected by their own family members. Now, if you remember in John chapter number 1, verse number 11 and verse number 12, He came, Jesus, He came unto His own, and His own what? Received Him not. So what did He do? He redeemed unto Himself a new people. That's you and I. That's the Gentiles. And so uh, here, this, this early date of between 48 and 62, this is this early church. It's still in its infancy. A hundred years hadn't even passed. I dare say 25 years had even passed since Christ was crucified. And so this was all very, very new. And so, as Christianity grew, so did the persecution. If you, I'm not going to, but if you turn to Acts chapter number 8, we're just a few pages from chapter number 2, where Pentecost is, but in Acts chapter number 8, there was a great persecution. There we're in, in chapter 7, we're introduced to Saul, we're introduced to Stephen being persecuted, being stoned, and Saul is standing there holding the coat of Stephen, we find in chapter number 8 that there is a scattering abroad, and we find that here in verse number 1, that James is writing to those that are scattered abroad. Uh, but then we find that these people that are scattered abroad, it's because of their persecution. And so as more people are becoming Christians, and they're getting saved, and they're trusting Christ, all those are the same, they, their persecution becomes more intense. Later on, many of those Jews that, as they were being persecuted, they were sold into slavery. Uh, they were placed into prison. Again, we can read that in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book of Acts. But during the beginning of this Roman rule and this persecution, uh, they were persecuted namely because of their faith in Christ. It wasn't necessarily because of what, what, who they hang, hung around with, any of those things. It's simply because they named the name of Christ. They did not denounce Christ. They did not say that he was just a teacher or just a prophet or, or just a priest. They, they accepted him and proclaimed him as Messiah. And because of that, they were persecuted on every hand. So, 
Again, at this early time, these believers, they were trying to understand. I'm going to say this two different ways. One is a quote, but I'm going to say it this way first. They were trying to understand the grace that they were living in while still trying to reconcile living with the law. Because they grown, they had grown up living the law. They knew that they could only do certain things. They knew that they could only go certain places and, and they knew that they understood the law. Well now, because of the preachings of Paul and of Peter and of James, they were being told something different. And they were trying to reconcile those things. And so James, Peter, and Paul are all trying to teach them how to live a productive Christian life under grace. Okay? And so here's the quote. This is Warren Wiersbe. He says, still, he's talking about these believers, still in the shadows of the law, moving out into the bright light of God's grace. You ever been in a dark room and, and you walk out into the sunlight? What do you want to do? You squint or you, you, guide, your, you, you guard your eyes. It's kind of hard. You've got to sit there and you're kind of dazed a little bit until you get adjusted to it. That's what's happening here. They are now under grace, but they're still not quite adjusted to it. And so as we come into this book of James, he is trying to, to correct some things. And if you've read your Bible any period of time and you get through all of Paul's writings and then you come to James' writings, writing, and you find that there's, there's a difference. James deals with some things differently than Paul deals with some things. But, guess what? We just talked about the date. I need to tell you that James was likely the very first epistle ever written. And so James was dealing with some things that even he, and I'm not disputing what he's written. Everything is written under the inspiration of Christ. Y'all, y'all say amen right there. So I need you to understand what I'm saying. James was writing what God had inspired him to write, but he still didn't have a whole grasp on everything under grace himself. And so we'll deal with that as we come to those things. But I believe Scripture represents and bears up Scripture, okay? So again, we'll deal with those as we come. So, we notice some background information, number one. Number two, who was James? James, number one, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So, we look at this question, who was this James? He was a servant of God and of Christ. Does that answer anything for you? It it didn't for me. I had to figure out, Nick, who was this James? Because you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find that there's a James there. Is this the same James? You read some of Paul's writings, you read Acts, and you find that there's a James there. So who is this James? Um, I, some are, are going through different uh, Bible institutes right now. And, and you've heard me say this, Herbert Lockyer, he has a lot of books that are very, very helpful. And one of those is all the men of the Bible. And uh, so so I have that book. So I pulled it off the shelf and I looked and there's at least four to five different Jameses that people think that this could be. So he kind of narrows things down. And so after looking at several different um, views, I believe personally that this was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. 
And I don't think we have any Catholics in here, but the Catholics would have you to believe that Mary was, before the birth of Christ, a virgin, and she died a virgin. I do not believe that. Okay? I believe that she was a virgin, but I believe that she had children after Jesus Christ. Okay, And so, as such, I believe we can back up with Scripture that James was the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because he Jesus was not of Joseph's bloodline. He was of the lineage of Joseph, but he was not in his bloodline because he wasn't his, his physical father. So, we look at Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 46 through 48. And the Scripture says, While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. And he he answered and said unto them, uh, unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Now this does not; these verses do not mention the name James, but it does institute that he had a brother, okay? And he had more than one brother. Some would say that it was a man by the name of Joseph or Josie uh, and James and then also his mother Mary is who this was speaking of. Um, by all accounts, this man James that we're reading after tonight was an, an unbeliever or at best he was in opposition of calling Jesus the Messiah. The reason I say that is in Matthew chapter 13, they, it, it lists James and Josie and, and even Mary. And it says, because of things that Jesus says, verse number 57 of Matthew 13, and they were offended in him. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. So even his own brother was offended in the fact that he called himself the Messiah, okay? So, Christ, however, whether he was a believer as Christ's ministry progressed on earth or, or not, Christ still saw fit to show himself to James after he was resurrected. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 17, or 7 rather, it says, let's start back in verse number 3. It says, for I deliver, this is Paul, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas. Anybody want to tell me who Cephas was? Peter. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So, we know that after Christ was resurrected, James saw him. You may remember several, several months, maybe even a year or so ago now, that in modern times people have apostles in their denomination or their faith and and it's it it I don't know why they call them that because there are no apostles because one of the one of the definitions of an apostle is you have to physically have seen Jesus Christ in his resurrected body so that's why that's why we know that James is an apostle because he saw Jesus Christ 
So, not only that, but then we see in Acts chapter number 12, verse 17, that Peter sent a message directly to James right after the angel released him from prison. You look in Acts chapter number 12, uh, Peter was released from prison, and in verse 17, but he, Peter, beckoning unto them, when uh, he had held their peace, declared unto them how that the Lord had brought him out of prison, and said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went unto another place. Not only that, Acts chapter 15, James moderated or, or convened, if you will, over the church. There in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 21, Paul made a special visit uh, to bring word from the Gentile churches. If you remember, Paul and Barnabas, and later Paul and Silas, and later Paul and Timothy, and, and Titus was sent out from the church in Jerusalem to go tell the world. And so, as they went and told the world, they set up churches, they established churches, and they want, Jerusalem wanted to know what was going on. So Paul came back to Jerusalem specifically to see James and said, Hey James, I just want to give you an update on what's happening in the churches in these Gentile nations. Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 9, Paul went so far as to say that, that James, among others, was a pillar in the church. So that's who this writer is. He's not just some fly-by-night fellow. He, he's an established character in the Word of God. He is the half-brother of Christ. He, he, was, um, he was a fixture in the early church. So next we look, is there a theme to this book? Is there a theme to this book? If you'll give me just a minute, I'll give you the theme, but I'll give you some, some small themes. Number one, the church was being tested. The church was being tested. If, if we were to look, you could see, uh, just in the text that we, that we saw there, uh, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He said, knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith worketh patience. It goes on and he uses the word test, uses the word tempt, he uses the word trying over and over. So the church was being tested by persecution. Remember, this was in the early days of the church. This was in the early days of the Roman Empire. So the church was under a lot of pressure. People were being, uh, as Acts chapter number 8 says, they were being hauled off, men and women, to jail. All right? Not only that, but they were also being tempted. You've heard me say this over and over again. There's a difference between being tested and being tempted. Being tempted is the solicitation to do sin. Okay? So that is to do wrong. Being tested is not to do wrong. Being tested is to see if you're going to do right. Being tempted is to see if you're going to do wrong. And so they were being tempted. They were catering to the rich and leaving the poor to fend for themselves. On the other hand, some were being robbed by the rich. And what was happening then is the people that were being robbed, they they dealt with vengeance. And they said, I'm going to go and I'm going to repay vengeance with vengeance. And I'm going to go rob from them. And so they were being tempted. They were competing for offices in the church. Now, we don't have that problem here at Lighthouse. We don't, we don't have folks fighting over whether or not to do anything. We, we, we may have folks fighting to, to, to try to 
give up stuff. Any volunteers? No, I'm just messing. But they were they were arguing, and they were they there was contempt towards one another because one thought they were a better teacher, one thought they could do better, or it really had nothing to do with that. One just wanted more clout. One thought that it would it would give him more prominence than the other. Not only that, but their tongues, their words created divisions amongst themselves. The things that they would say. Worldliness was an issue. The Jewish culture, remember was now mixed with the Gentile culture, and it was creating an issue. The two cultures were clashing, and the Jewish culture, the Jewish wives, was seeing what the Gentile wives were doing, and they were trying to bring that into their Jewish homes. The Jewish men were seeing the Gentile men doing and reacting and, and carrying on the way that the Gentile men were and, and they were trying, and it was not working. The Jewish children were acting like the Gent, and so on and on. This clash of culture became an issue and so worldliness had crept in. They were becoming disobedient to God's word. And so the theme, and and this really has no bearing necessarily on what I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, though it fits right in, the theme seems to be spiritual immaturity. So as we go through, we may find some helps throughout the time that we're here. But we may find some, I don't know what they're called, maybe some micro-themes where, where we find he's dealing with patience. It's not necessarily about immaturity, but it may help us mature. Dealing with temptations, it's not necessarily about immaturity, but it may get us to another level. And so overall, it seems that, that spiritual immaturity may be what he's dealing with. And then... Warren Wearsby said this, he said, uh, about churches today, he said, too many churches are playpens for children instead of worksheds for adults. So with that thought in mind, I close with, with this last point, giving myself eight more minutes. What is the application to this church? Let me broaden that and say, what's the application to the church in 2024? So let's just kind of go back through these things that I just mentioned. And, and I'll say this, that nearly 2,000 years removed from, from this, whether, whether it was 48 or 62 A.D., we've not yet made it to 2,000 years from its writing. The church hasn't changed much. We've come a long way. But the church hasn't changed much. So everything that we will study is still very applicable today. What, what, what I mean by that is the church is still being tested today. The, the church in foreign countries, there's men, there's women and children that are paying with their lives for the cause of Christ. 
Because they still claim the name of Christ in spite of their Muslim upbringing or because of their Buddhist upbringing or because of, of, of their Jewish upbringing or, or maybe even because of their, 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 their Protestant upbringing, they are paying for their, their faith in Christ with their lives. Not only that, but in our own country, religious freedoms are at stake. Now, I don't know that any of us in here tonight are under any type of persecution, but in many places, the gospel cannot be freely preached. I I don't think that I I told the church, I don't remember what I've said and what I haven't, but I've got an opportunity through Brother Howard Alverson to preach on secular radio in Scotland uh, we're still beating out the details, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be about a 20-minute segment. But he's already said they've got these restrictions. There's some things that, there's, there's most things we can say, but there's some things that we've got to be vague about. So even, and I understand that that falls sometimes not on religious freedom, sometimes that's freedom of speech, and that's also in a completely different country. But here in, in these United States, we need to understand that the gospel cannot freely be preached everywhere. The Bible cannot be read or displayed everywhere. It cannot be held or presented everywhere. Our faith cannot, cannot be discussed in certain situations. As a matter of fact, it's, it's more tolerable to use God's name in vain than it is to lift His name up or God's name or Christ's name in some sort of a witness. I was watching a, on, this is on Disney Plus, so mamas and daddies, I'm telling y'all, you probably already know it, but on Disney Plus, I was watching one of the Marvel movies and I, 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 I was shocked at all of the GDs. Not only on Disney, but then in my home. It's more tolerable to use God's name in vain than it is to lift Him up in His majesty. Too often, though, talked about our religious freedoms being at stake, but too often our testing is of our own making. And we tend to vilify everyone else, and we vilify our society, and we blame, we, we, we tend to make our society worse than it is, and then we use that as a scapegoat so we don't have to witness. Some of y'all are going to catch that. We say that, oh no, I can't witness because I'll get in trouble, or because of this, or because of that. And it may not be the case. You may have free reign to do that. You may have free reign to, to go to school and do whatever, or to go to work and do whatever, or go to City Hall and read your Bible or whatever, and nothing be said about it. But we tend to vilify that because we're too frightened to do it ourselves. The church is not only being tested, but the church is being tempted. Hebrews chapter number 4 teaches us this. Now, I know we're in James, but if you turn back a few pages, you'll see in Hebrews chapter number 4, 
verse number 15, it's talking about Christ being that high priest. He says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So that is a, in, in my opinion, I believe it's true, that is a proof that we are tempted today. And we will be tempted tomorrow. Uh, I, there was a, a, a man up in Tennessee, and he, he told me numerous times that, that he was not tempted every day. And I told him numerous times that, that he was a better Christian than I was. But as the conversation concluded, I told him, one of us is wrong. Somebody's lying. And you say, well, I don't know that I've been tempted today. I'm not talking about gross sin. I'm not talking about going off the deep end. But just little things. It may be a thought. It may be a a look. It may be a swipe on our phone. It may be a word that we've not said in years, but we know it's a wrong word. But somewhere along the line, there is a temptation And the church is still tempted to sin. And so these words are still very applicable. We're facing temptation on every hand. I wrote this, some are different than others, but some are different in their intensity. Now, Brother Jody, you and I have openly talked about this. And so that's why I'm going to use you as an example. There was a time at least when drugs or alcohol was a part of your life. That's never been a part of my life. So the devil may come to me and say, hey, you want a drink? He may come once. I'm going to say, well, no, I don't. No, I don't. But then again, he may come to you and he say, hey, you want a drink? And you may say, not right now. And he may come back an hour later and say, hey, what about now? And then the next day. So in its intensity, he's at, we're being tempted with the same thing. But because he knows, if I can say it later, what buttons to push, he may intensify that temptation with one person or another. Then again, he may not ever tempt me with alcohol or drugs because that's never been something that I've ever had to deal with. And to God be the glory on it. But He also knows what I have been tempted with. And those may be things that some of you have never been tempted with. And so you don't understand that draw. But He knows. So we're still being, we're still being tempted as a church. But, but whether that temptation is intense or, or what, I'll say this. James chapter number 4, verse number 7 is still in the book. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'm, I'm over on my time, so I'm going to give you these real quick. Our tongues are still causing division. From the front to the back. Got to get this right. From the left to the right. From the left to the right. Tongues are still causing division. We're all guilty. Every one of us, from time to time, are guilty about our tongues. 
Worldliness still finds its ways. Every daddy's little girl wants to look like her idol. And every, every little boy wants to be like his hero. But we need to be careful who we introduce our children to. The blame of who their idols and their heroes are may fall on us. But as adults, we're guilty of this too. Because we want to fit in with the world. Our language. Our possessions. Our demeanor. Our friends. The things that we surround ourselves with, if we're not careful, will draw out or draw in the worldliness. So, the beginning, here we are in January the 10th, 2024. The church still finds a way to be disobedient to God's Word. And so with all of that said, let me add this, what, what the people that was reading James' epistle didn't have that we do, they did not have the Word of God in its entirety. But we do. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We, we know the judgments of God. We know what God expects of us. But yet we still find ways to, most of the time, on purpose, disobey God's Word. So with that said, yes, we can find application of a nearly 2,000-year-old book in 2024. So, 